Hi, it's Chris. It's just me this time. Adam is swamped with other work. Beth is drowning in children. And I've spent the last year indoors, and I think it's starting to affect me. Now, we try to put out two episodes a month, and we'll have a normal episode for you real soon, but we figured we'd take this opportunity when we're all feeling a little frayed to give you something special. You all know that we have a Patreon, that for a few dollars a month you can help us research and record this show, and that we offer, as a reward, some super fan bonus bits for our Patreon supporters to listen to. They're usually things that we recorded for the show, but that didn't make the final edit, because we like to keep our episodes under an hour long, and yet sometimes when we're talking about this stuff, we get all excited and we go on for ages. Anyway, we thought maybe we'd share a few of these bonus bits for you today. If you like what you hear, of course, you can always go over to patreon.com slash it's just a show or it's just a show.com slash Patreon and get access to many, many, many more. Well, so let's start with an old one. This is from our episode on Star Crash, uh, which is an episode that features a cameo from Jerry Seinfeld, you'll remember. They did a lot of that in the first revival season on Netflix. And anyway, we've got a story here of Adam meeting somebody that you probably don't want to meet. Take it away. I think the I think the worst revival that I have ever seen was uh, in referencing a show I mentioned on episode two. Uh, a cartoon show I used to watch was Ren and Stimpy because I was a kid in the nineties, mm-hmm. and uh, they decided for whatever reason to get uh, the creator of the show, who had been fired halfway through the series, um, to come back. And uh, and and start a new Ren and Stimpy show for adults called the Ren Stimpy Adult Party Cartoon. That's what they called it for Spike TV. Oh, that's all that guy would need. I for- what's his name? John K. Yeah, he's a creep. Yeah, that guy's a total creep. And uh, uh, now I don't know about your personal experience with Beth. How how would you know that? Uh, I've just I've uh, I just remember reading stuff at the time, and and I think there was a, a spin article about him, and it, it just he's got. Um, He's he's got a bad vibe. <laughs> well, have I got a story for you? Um, they brought this back as Spike TV. They they thought they were going to Spike TV at the time was really trying to uh, create a name for itself. Like it had just been renamed because it was originally the new TNN, which of course meant that it was the new the Nashville Network, mm. and it was really only known for airing reruns of TNG and WKRP. That's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need for a good network. <laughs> That's all I needed as a child anyway. It's like throw in the Twilight Zone. You've got all my fra- favorite things. But they decided to uh, create some like adult cartoon shows and so they brought back they they brought back Ren and Stimpy and they created two things. One was Stan Lee's Stripperella um, and the other was a, uh, a Kelsey Grammer cartoon called Gary the Rat. But uh, Ren and Stimpy came back the very first episode, which I actually gathered around my friends and my then girlfriend to watch because I was so excited about it, like a fool. Just like uh, when Poochie was introduced. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did spend the entire Ren and Stimpy episode wondering when they were going to get to the fireworks factory. Because, yeah, just uh, what starts off as like seemingly a, an ordinary episode just quickly, quickly devolves into like one joke. Uh, which is that Ren and Stimpy are lovers now. And so it's like 20 minutes of like, teehee, they're gay. And then when that's not happening, there is a montage of them eating boogers and snots. And I was like, oh, this is nothing. Like, 
I know that there were elements of both of these things in the original show, but that's not what I what I liked about it. What I liked about Ren and Stimpy is that it was weird and psychotic. Right. So this airs, they air two episodes, and then it disappears from the schedule, and it's just reruns of the classic series. And, uh, and, and the show all but disappears until John Kay comes to an animation convention in my town with the promise of new episodes. So I go. Like a fool, I'm excited about it. Because you know what? When John Kay got fired from Ren Stimpy, uh, which he claimed in all interviews was because he was fighting for the integrity of the show, and not at all because the the cartoons were frequently missing deadlines, and he was getting into fights with just about anyone who disagreed with him, and those fights were becoming more and more violent as the show progressed, and tellingly had not really made anything else he, he animated a bjork video mm-hmm. he did uh, a, a web series and uh he had a, a terrible short-lived canadian superhero comedy uh and that was just about it uh but he came back with new episodes of ren stimpy at the national arts center in ottawa and i thought sure this will be great i'll go i'll get to meet one of my childhood heroes i was still kind of excited because you know what much like those uh those people watching the mystery science animated series i was like you know Know what give this a few weeks it's gonna be great hope springs eternal <laughs> oh yeah as always that's this is i think the thing that broke me of like that kind of optimistic fandom um i, I go to the uh, to the auditorium i'm actually talking to uh, a lady who does like casting like voice casting so i i think to myself because i've done a little bit of voice work uh mostly for corporate stuff and so i think oh my god maybe this will be my break, big break who knows i might be voicing krang and something that's my dream I could be a crank. <laughs> um, but we're both excited to see uh, uh, John Kay's new thing. And he shows some of the episodes that Spike, what he promises that Spike TV wouldn't dare air. So uh, he, he, he first comes in and he goes, hey, I'm not going to show you my cartoon just yet. I'm going to show you the best cartoon ever made. Got to go. And he like s- splits. And what he airs was uh, the notoriously racist cartoon coal black and deceben dwarves okay yeah and then he comes back after 13 minutes of just non-stop racist gags that even i think cartoon historians have trouble defending uh he comes back and he goes yeah that's uh it's pretty pretty racy cartoon huh i see a couple of you are uncomfortable what you didn't like that cartoon you guys a little too pc for me and he goes on a rant about pc culture and then he goes anyway my cartoon is just the same way. Not a lot of people get it, but here it is. And he showed uh, a, a new episode of, of Ren Stimpy that hadn't been aired, uh, which was essentially 20 minutes of uh, showering, like nude, full frontal nude ladies showering with Ren and Stimpy with almost no plot. Hmm. That was the full thing. And so he had made something that was intended for commercial TV but is unairable by American standards. Like, you know, American censors are much more leery about, like, sex and nudity than British uh, censors, for instance, and even Canadian censors are. So after this, like, terrible, terrible screening that nobody seemed to enjoy, there was just dead silence in the theater while we were watching, I decided that, like, since John Kay was known for being so confrontational, maybe he would appreciate some confrontation of his own. And I walked up to him, and I asked him, it's like, okay, uh, I, I was a big fan, which was very carefully worded, and I couldn't help but notice that, uh, you know, because I've been following uh, uh, this this revival project for a while, uh, you, 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 you insisted that you cut down the episode order that Spike TV placed from 22 to 6, 
and you've made four of those episodes unairable because they're like 37 minutes or like 38 minutes. They're not long enough for an hour, but they're too long for 20 minutes. And you've made a you've made a cartoon that is just like naked babes, <laughs> naked cartoon babes, uh, which American censors are going to be like, Leary, you're, you're not making this for HBO. Uh, uh, what's what's going on here? And he goes, it's like, I don't know. What, what are you talking about? South Park does this sort of stuff all the time. Oh. And I could have left it at that. Maybe I should have. But I said, no, no, that's not true. South Park, like, they, they do cartoon violence. Like, they do over-the-top violence, which American censors are way more comfortable with. And they have some lights, light swearing that's not bleeped out, and the rest is. But they never have, like, female sex, which is considered, like, way more uh threatening to like american censors uh haven't you you know since you haven't worked really in tv for a decade haven't you shot yourself in the foot john Ooh, yeah uh, uh the 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 man i was talking to john oh i was talking to john k he turns bright red and i see his fist clenching and i i'm starting to think to myself oh god i might have to punch my childhood hero because he's starting to advance towards me in this cocktail weenie luncheon portion of the evening but what happens miraculously is a large man in a Hawaiian shirt embraces me. He walks over and hugs me. I'm just completely blinded to anything because I am just absorbed in this man's chest. And a very gentle baritone just says, shh, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. And I muffled something in reply because I was, uh, this is very surreal. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> but by the time this guy releases me, John K has gone to start hitting on some young chicks, and I I kind of decide for that's probably for the best that if I skip the rest of this evening. <laughs> but yeah, I had a very unpleasant uh, experience with uh, with one of my heroes, which taught me the lesson. Uh, it's not that you shouldn't meet your heroes; it's just that you should choose your heroes carefully. Well, I think we all learned something there. But what about not meeting your heroes, just getting to be in the same room as them? Well, this is a bonus bit from our episode on the KTMA, Gamera versus Baragon, episode 21, in a bonus bit we call Carol Channing, Carol Channing, recorded a year before Carol Channing's untimely passing at the age of 97. Carol Channing. Carol Channing. She is apparently what Baragon most looks like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this was uh, this struck me actually because it is one of those rare jokes in both versions of this Misty. That's right. They they were really struck by Baragon's similarity to Carol Channing, and having seen or having rewatched, I should say, uh, the Pee Wee Herman Christmas special on Netflix, <laughs> uh, where Channing calls Pee Wee and tries to sing him the Twelve Days of Christmas, and he rightly sneaks away. <laughs> that that was not Carol Channing. What? Who is that then? That was um, uh, what's her name? I was gonna say I, I don't remember her in that. Um, that was oh, that, that other else. woman. Um, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Dinah Shore. Dinah Shore. Um, Very different person. Now there is. This is where I'm getting confused. I think Pee Wee Herman and Carol Channing present awards is a YouTube video that I have found. <laughs> And there are some great photos of them together. <laughs> yeah, Carol Channing, uh, she was mostly a Broadway actor, um, and she had a very distinct voice that sounded like a smoker's voice, but apparently she never smoked. 
Um, and she had very big eyes and a very big smile, which so does Baragon. So I think that's where that's coming in a little bit. Yes. And in fact, I, I memory serves my, uh, aside from little bits of TV here and there, I mostly know Carol Channing through references and specifically references on this show. <laughs> like there's an episode, I think it's one of the Coleman Francis films in which in order to cheer himself up because of how depressing it is, Mike has to dress up as Carol Channing. <laughs> oh man, I don't remember that. But, um, yeah, I think Carol Channing is kind of both before our times. Uh, she seemed to be a real staple of variety shows in the 60s and 70s. The only time I've ever seen her is she was a guest on the Space Ghost show. Oh, awesome. And her very famous song, Hello, Dolly, uh, from a musical that I am forgetting. I think it actually... Probably <laughs> it's probably Hello, name. Dolly, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's just one of those like vaudeville kind of actors from that that seem to extend into the 60s and 70s and after but apparently she's still alive yeah she's still alive she's still kicking yeah uh, apparently uh she was one of the first people to really embrace like a vegan diet she basically only eats vegetables Hmm. and never drinks so perhaps that is one key to her longevity that must be it uh it's funny like it's weird how you pick and choose who you are familiar with and uh you know who gets kind of burned in your brain as someone important or representative of entertainment in the past because i was just looking up carol channing right now to get a better fit for who she was because moments ago i confused her with dinah shore <laughs> uh, <laughs> and honestly didn't know the difference and I, I looked it up and there was a photo of her and i was like whoa she was posing with jack klugman <laughs> To me, in my mind, she's kind of in that Hollywood constellation with like Chachi and Paul Lind and, you know, those kinds of people who you expect to see on Hollywood squares a lot. Wait, like Chachi is in Joni Loves Chachi? I don't don't know who you mean. Oh, no. Do you mean Charo? Charo, sorry. Who was on the Pee Wee Herman Christmas special. Full circle. (laughs) See, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) But Chris, our producer Chris, I think you might know a little bit more about uh, Miss Channing. Yes, you nearly met her. And if you were to tell us that story, it would go a little something like this. I nearly met her in the sense that I was in the same room with her, but it was a very, very large room and I was a couple meters away from her. So this was uh, in the 90s and it was a showing of the movie Thoroughly Modern Millie. Oh. Uh, which she stars in and was Academy Award nominated for. Oh, wow. And which at the time I really enjoyed and have been meaning to rewatch. I haven't seen it since then, but uh, I uh, haven't rewatched it, so I don't know how it stands up. The uh, If you haven't seen it, which it sounds like neither of you have, nope. the IMDb quick plot summary thing is, Millie comes to town in the Roaring Twenties to encounter flappers, sexuality, and white slavers. Which is true. And you can see where this can go wrong. And I think it may go a bit wrong, but maybe not as... I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll see. Uh, Jack Sue and Pat Morita are in it as Oriental number one and Oriental number two. Whoa. (laughs) So, you know. But anyway, so it was a a, uh, AIDS benefit that I managed to be given a ticket to and went to. And at some point, as we're waiting around in the lobby to be let into the theater... Carol Channing entered the room surrounded by at least a dozen tuxedoed 
young gay men oh, <laughs> in such a way. And I believe she's fairly short, if I remember correctly, but it just seemed like she was floating. She was wearing like an, a dress entirely made out of sequins. She had her big hair and her big smile, and she just sort of came in. It was just lovely. Oh. And it was everything you could ever want from a close encounter with Carol Channing. Oh. That sounds great. She's she's great. I'll have yeah. to watch that movie or read the source material, Frankenstein or the thoroughly postmodern Millie. <laughs> or watch the Space Ghost episode. That's true. That said, I mean, this goes to speak again to those blind spots because I have no idea really who Carol Channing is aside from what we've discussed here. Yet when Chris mentioned that Jack Sue and Pat Morita were in the movie, I got really <laughs> excited. <laughs> well, I think uh, Baragon is quite cute. So I think it's a very flattering comparison. Yeah. They don't think so, though. Oh, wow. Sorry. I'm going to add one more thing that I just found in this article. So. Uh, let's assume it's no. Apparently, there there are two sources for this. So, some famous person has said that their dream role would be to play Carol Channing in a biopic. Can you guess who that is? Hmm. John Waters. Close. Divine. Mm, less close. There's oh. someone who's still alive. Oh man. Uh, hmm. Alan. Who? That would be bad casting. <laughs> yes. And I honestly thought you were recommending your friend Alan. <laughs> Johnny Depp. Gross. <laughs> Fuck that guy. That's that is the most redeemable thing about him is that he aspires to play Carol Chan. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, man, 20 years ago he probably could have done it. Now I never want to see it. Not just because of his personal shenanigans, but because also Johnny Depp stopped being a good actor a long time ago. Channing, for her part, loves the idea. Quote, I'm not, not going to try to do the voice. Men have been imitating me for as long as I can remember. In fact, most of the impersonations I've seen have had a five o'clock shadow. Nice. Yeah. Carol Channing is a kind of a go-to drag thing from what I understand. Baragon also had a five o'clock shadow. <laughs> I really want to see Baragon, Carol Channing do the way we were. That would be nice. Rainbows. I'd love to see a poster of uh, Carol Channing wheeling around Baragon as if she's about to take off its top. <laughs> oh, I, we could probably make that happen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Photoshop in the show notes. You know, we didn't intend this, but we're releasing this bonus bit on January 31st, 2018, which happens to be Carol Channing's 97th birthday. Happy birthday, Carol Channing. May you have 97. Oh, my God, that seems to it, it, just it, don't think about it. Just have a good one. Listeners who are not Carol Channing are almost certainly Patreon supporters of It's Just a Show, and we totally appreciate that. So, hey, happy birthday to you, too. Or, you know, happy Carol Channing's birthday. I don't care. You sort yourself out. Here's a little extra bonus present just for you. So there's something to be said about how even if you're trying to make a very serious adult movie, if it has certain themes and those themes are kind of fantastical or, or, or sci-fi, they kids who are attracted to that kind of thing will probably end up being your viewers, whether you like it or not. That's right. I still remember the one time uh, I went to see the Watchmen and someone, some, some dad had brought in his six and four year old to watch it. <laughs> I want you to guess, first of all, guess when they left. Hmm. Well, if they had any sense, it would have been right when the opening credits started. 
It was when that big blue Dr. Manhattan dong showed up for the first time. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, I will share this about my own experience seeing the terrible, terrible Watchmen movie. Uh, I was watching it with a friend of mine who did not want to read the graphic novel because he thought it would spoil the movie for him, oh, which is God. a strange way to go about it. But it backfired. He lost any interest in reading the graphic novel when the film proved to be as bad as it was. However, there is a moment I will always cherish, so I'm glad I went to see this film in the theaters. When you get to the notorious sex scene where two characters have sex to Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah, yeah. the entire theater went, oh, <laughs> as well they should. Zack Snyder is not a good director. No, and it's it's about time that people try to make some headway on that. I saw the most depressing tweet I think I've ever seen, which was, ah, finally, someone's put into my words my struggle with accepting the fact that Batman v Superman is not a good movie. And the quoted tweet was, Movie Bob explains in his four-hour review what Batman v Superman is not a good movie. I was like, this, this shouldn't be that hard to figure out. This is not something you should have to come to terms with. Oh, hey there. I... I hope you didn't get too confused. I probably should have warned you that me in the past would interrupt that last bonus bit, but that it was me from the past, not me now, which is also me from the past by the time you're listening to this, because that's how time works. Um, let's not think about how time works right now. Let's just move on. You know, we couldn't do a compilation of this without having something related to you guessed it, Donald Pleasance. So here's a bonus bit from our episode 36 on the Puma Man. We call this bit Blofeld Follies. Pleasance and the producers got into a back and forth because Pleasance was so much shorter than Sean Connery. Mm -hmm. So how do you make him intimidating? And... What we got, which was a you know a scar and a cane yeah, and a cat and everything, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His uh, his wonky look there was a compromise because Pleasance wanted like a hump and boils and two canes. <laughs> we'll give you a weird eye and a cat. How about yeah. that? <laughs> the the negotiations went on for ages just to get the right look for him because Pleasance wanted him to like. He wanted it to be such a shock when you finally saw him that he would be almost inhuman looking. Oh, God. I don't know if that would have worked. Yeah, but then again, it's like, I, like, I wonder if, because that was his first suggestion. Okay. And I wonder if there's a little bit of him with the producers uh, there. Because, one, he would do that with directors and producers when signing off for a role. He would, uh, John Carpenter recalled that uh, he... When he approached Donald Pleasance with doing Halloween in 1978, Pleasance cl claimed not to understand a word of the script and forced John Carpenter to explain it to him. And as as the meeting progressed, it became clear that Donald Pleasance was just doing this for fun <laughs> okay. and wanted to make sure that Carpenter like was taking the job seriously. So he was testing him. And I think with Pleasance, who did not like putting on makeup, because when you have a face like that, you got to let it shine, you know? <laughs> Well, I, I can like I, I've never been an actor, but I think any kind of like apparatus you have to wear on your face is very claustrophobic. Yeah, and so I think that the, the boils and the extra scars and, and God knows what else he was asking for, uh, in addition to the hump and everything, I think that he was pushing 
just to see if he could get away with something outrageous so that when it came time to, no, 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 we have to be rational about this, he could ask for as little makeup as possible because he's finally been walked away from a far more outrageous idea. Like, I think he tested them <laughs> a bit there. He does seem like somebody who would do that. Yeah. Somebody who's just like uh, trying to always get a sense of what he's dealing with. Yeah, I uh, I love – there is a film – a really funny horror comedy called Alone in the Dark they did in 82. And it's, it's what a cast. It's him. It's Martin Landau, Jack Palance, and the guy who plays Broccoli on Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> it yeah. is a masterclass of overacting. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but when he got the script for that movie where he played a – unusual psychiatrist and a kind of new agey psychiatrist pleasance immediately turned to the director and said i like this part but what i want to do is i want to make this guy like an acid casualty and a total hippie can i can i be like smoking pot and and also from like a, a big corn cob pipe Ooh, and i i need to <laughs> I, I need to make sure that i'm never sitting on my desk i should be sitting on pillows i, I shouldn't be, I, my character shouldn't believe in discs and <laughs> And and these little ad libs and embellishments that he approached the director with, he was like, "No, no, no! If it's a test or not, I believed in Tom Pleasance's weird ideas, and we put all of them into the movie." He finally found his maker. And let's wrap this up with a little bit of a unexpected game that someone brought to me during a recent episode. Well, I say recent. This is from episode seventy-one jumped forward a bit there. It is from our episode on the KTMA show Phase 4, and I guess uh, you'll figure it out before I did because of the way that uh, this segment opens. Anyway, have fun! Chris, I have a little game for you. Oh, goody. Yay, everybody likes games. Now, Chris, uh, what was that song that uh, that Joel, Joel was forced to sing for the bots for their amusement? I believe that was a Wipeout. Now, Wipeout, doesn't it have this trademark laugh? Yes. Now, isn't that laugh awfully similar to that of the Crypt Keeper? <laughs> really? This is where we're going with this? <laughs> it might be. Now... <laughs> You see, Chris, this is an important day uh, in history because it was the 15th of January, 1989, that this episode aired. But Chris, but Chris, how uh -huh. close is that? How close is that to the very, very first episode of Tales from the Crypt? That's right. Also 1989, less than six months later. I believe it was June 10th, 1989, that a certain Crypt Keeper finally rose from his crypt. So it's practically the same day. <laughs> yeah, I think, the, I think the Crypt Keeper rose in response to this episode. Naturally, naturally, because you know what? If there's going to be that many bugs covering things in a major Hollywood production, it might as well be him. Yep, 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 yep. So naturally, this raises a question that gets asked a lot of times on this program, where I must task you with... Is it the Crypt Keeper, or is it not? <laughs> have I made music for this segment yet? You have. It appeared in the last one. Crypt Keeper or Crypt Keeper or Crypt Keeper or not. All right, so I have three scenarios. This time it won't be Crypt Keeper puns, but will be Crypt Keeper scenarios, since we're dealing with the early days and the building of the Crypt Keeper puppet as a result. <clears throat> 
So which of the following things happened? Two are real and one I made up. The first scenario. It's the early days of the Tales from the Crypt show. The puppet, which is so complex. Well, the, the wires and gears and the jawline, it's not moving right. You can't get good lip sync. But they decide their creative solution is to make a Christmas episode to air in June just so they can have a Crypt Keeper, uh, the Crypt Keeper puppet being replaced by uh, someone in a Santa Claus costume that appears to be wearing a doll head mask with a uh, Santa Claus beard on so the Crypt Keeper can deliver his lines under that. Uh-huh. That's scenario one. Scenario two, the first DVD release, Warner Brothers got a little ambitious when they have the HBO property in their vault, their vault of fear. So... Uh, they decide to build their own Crypt Keeper puppet who will act as an interactive cool ghoul on the DVDs. One problem, they didn't learn from the hypothetically hypothetical real last example, and the Crypt Keeper puppet doesn't f***ing work. <laughs> so their solution is to wrap the thing in gauze and have a special video in which this thing that's covered in toilet paper uh, limply waves at the camera while John Kassir, the voice of the Crypt Keeper, prattles on about how he's had plastic surgery, and while he can't reveal himself just yet, uh, he'll be looking good on future DVD releases. <laughs> okay, so we've got Santa Claus at the wrong time of year, and we've got plastic surgery to explain away lack of mouth movement. And finally... The Crypt Keeper is, ho- is hosting the Miss Universe pageant in 1993. <laughs> of course. Wait, for real or in a sketch? Oh, no, this is totally for real. Okay. And, and uh, the Crypt Keeper is asking a question to Miss Arkansas, and his head falls off and lands right in her lap. <laughs> <laughs> which of these is real, and which of these is, in fact, something I made up? <laughs> did you make up one thing, or did you make them all up? <laughs> that... That Crypt Keeper or not is coming, but no, it's not this time. <laughs> All right. I feel like if the uh, final one, if the Miss Miss or Mrs. America, whichever it was, mm-hmm. uh, if or Miss Universe, whatever you said, if that, if the beauty pageant one were true, I'd have seen that animated GIF by now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that one is not true. The other two I can totally believe. <laughs> Damn it. I th- <laughs> I thought it was so close to reality. Huh, I forgot that I won that round. I guess it happens sometimes. Well, anyway, that's been about a half an hour of sampling from our library of Superfan bonus bits. You can find a bunch more and listen to them if you support us on Patreon. You can go to itsjustashow.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash itsjustashow, and you can support us there. And, uh... If you support us on Patreon, you also don't have to listen to the bonus bits. It's completely optional content, and we will not be quizzing you on them. And, of course, you can always email us at info at It's Just a Show, or you can tweet at us at It Is Just a Show. We would love to hear from you. Next time around, I can tell you now, next time around we will be looking at Season 7, Episode 1, Night of the Blood Beast. Ah, uh, it's a it's an episode. It's an interesting episode. It's not a very good movie. I mean, I think you're accustomed to that by now, but it's not the best movie they ever did. But anyway, thank you to all of our listeners, even those of you who, for whatever reason, aren't able to or just don't want to support us on Patreon. And thank you especially to those of you who can and do support us. It does make a tremendous amount of difference for us. <sighs> anyway, until next time, uh, 
we actually end the bonus bits a bit abruptly because we can't get Theme Squad to do everything. So um, 